This morning, <clears throat> we've heard many important things about preparing ourselves, our families, our wards, indeed the Church, to meet the challenges of these times. One of the aspects of preparation, as Bishop Brown and his counselors explained in their discussions of family preparedness, is employment and career development. I should like to discuss this in more detail because it is important to us as leaders to give assistance to others. And it is interesting that the first recorded instruction given to Adam after the fall uh, dealt with the eternal principles of work. The Lord said, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Our Heavenly Father loves us so completely that he gave us a commandment to work. This is one of the keys to eternal life. He knows that we will learn more, grow more, achieve more, serve more, and benefit more from a life of industry than a life of ease. There are several principles which undergird the significance of work in the Lord's plan. First, as the covenant people, we must be as self-sufficient as possible. We are to be free from dependence upon a dole or any other program that might endanger our free agency. Second, we must work to support the families which the Lord, with which the Lord has blessed us. Every true son of God wants to care for his own. And many a noble mother from whom a husband has been taken struggles to support her children both as a breadwinner and a single parent. Finally, we work so that we may have the necessities of life, conserving time and energy left over for service in the Lord's work. Sometimes it seems that the men who work the hardest at their occupations are the men most willing to devote time to Church service. Now may we refer specifically to vocational work or employment. The employment we choose should be honorable and challenging. Ideally, we need to seek that work to which we are suited by interest, by uh, aptitude, and by training. A man's work should do more than provide adequate income. It should provide him with a sense of self-worth and be a pleasure, something to look forward to each day. May I suggest a definition of honorable employment? Honorable employment is honest employment. Fair value is given. There is no defrauding, cheating, or deceit. Its product or service is of high quality, and the employer, customer, client, or patient receives more than he or she expected. Honorable employment is moral. It involves nothing that would undermine public good or morality. For example, it does not involve traffic in drugs, illicit narcotics, um, liquor, or gambling. 
Honorable employment is useful. It provides goods or services which make the world a better place in which to live. Honorable employment is also remunerative. It provides enough income so that we may be self-sufficient and able to support our families while leaving enough time free to be good fathers and church workers. It is necessary to say a word about what is enough income. This is a materialistic world, and Latter-day Saints must be careful not to confuse luxuries with necessities. An adequate income allows us to provide for the adequate requirements of life, allows us to, um, uh, to, to gain not only the basic necessities but the things we want our families to have without indulgent luxuries. There are some who unwisely aspire to self-indulgent luxuries that often lead them away from the complete commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. May I offer the youth, these young people who we wish to help, four steps which are important in, in, in obtaining the right kind of employment as they enter into employment for life. They're first to invite the Lord's help in this important search, and second to plan ahead carefully, and third to gather all the possible information before they proceed, and fourth, proper vocation or education preparation. The first step, prayer, must continue through the entire process. As we gather facts and make decisions and gain the appropriate training and experience and then seek jobs, it is essential that we combine our self-reliant efforts with a humble, prayerful attitude. The decision is ours to make, but the Lord will increase our wisdom if we seek Him earnestly. Planning ahead for a vocation is a very important second step. The sooner a young man can begin the planning, the sooner he will begin to acquire the skills for that vocation. Parents have an important responsibility, as well as those of us who are leaders, to teach and guide um, young people in thinking seriously about their future in the world of work. Of course, parents must exercise wisdom, being careful to counsel rather than pressure children as they make their own decisions about careers. The third step, gathering facts, involves many people and resources. Youth and parents should be able to draw upon the Ward Welfare Services Employment Resource person, school counselors, and others. Interviews with potential employers, visits to, our indu to industrial location, and and um, actually working at different jobs will greatly broaden career perspectives. Effective fact-gathering includes a search to learn which vocations are in demand now and which may be in the future. We need college-trained people, but many have gone to a university and have become trained for jobs that do not exist in the marketplace. In addition, 
to those trained in college, <clears throat> we need young men who are trained in other fields, carpenters, farmers, auto mechanics, and other skills. As the final step, when the decision has been made and the young person feels right about the decision, the preparation process should begin in earnest. Whether the training involved is an apprenticeship, university education, or a trade school, it is often an advantage to have formal recognized training for a vocation. The best positions and the highest pay goes to those who have adequately prepared themselves. The realities of life often cause people to seek employment to provide income to meet their obligations. This happened to many during the Great Depression in the early 1930s. It is, happened, it is happening today in a lesser extent. It is important that a man be engaged in employment which is of his choosing, whether he is ha uh, where, where he can be happy in his work and can feel that he is making a contribution. He is not entirely satisfied uh, unless he is making a contribution. And if, he's, if he isn't satisfied with his success and what he's presently doing, it may not be too late to prayerfully consider making a change by, again, planning, gathering facts, and making adequate preparation. May I say a word about church employment centers and the responsibility of the priesthood quorums? Speed is always crucial when a job opening occurs. A person who needs a job must hear of it as soon as possible and apply immediately, of course. It is for this purpose that we have employment centers established by the Church. The key to success for this system lies not with the full-time uh, staff, but with the ward, service, uh, ward Welfare Services Committees and the Aaronic and Melchizedek Priesthood Quorums. It is through the priesthood network that openings and applicant information should flow. Our quorum should identify those who need work or those who need to upgrade work and then to do all they can to help their members find employment opportunities. Every Ward Welfare Services Committee should have an employment resource person called and functioning. This person should be well acquainted with all of the career planning resources of the Church and the community in order to assist adults and youth to obtain the best employment. In a personal way, I recall the experiences my dear wife and I went through after deciding the course I should take for my life's work. I had taken some courses in pharmacy with a plan in mind, plan in mind of converting into a course in medicine. As many of us do, I changed my mind and engaged in another business, banking. We were blessed with steady employment, but I felt attracted toward the profession of law. This was a serious decision for us because I was married and had a family to support. But after fasting and prayer and obtaining the facts as to the best way to proceed, I completed my undergraduate work and entered law school. 
I took classes at night because it was necessary to be employed during the daytime. These were not easy years for us, but desires are usually accomplished if we are willing to make a determined effort. Needless to say, I had the help and support of my wife. She remained a homemaker and cared for our children. What she gave in love, encouragement, frugality, and companionship was far in excess of any material contribution she might have made by taking employment. Our wives deserve great credit for the heavy load they carry day in and day out within our homes. No one expends more energy than a devoted mother and wife. In the usual arrangements of things, however, it is the man to whom the, war, the, the Lord has assigned the breadwinner's role. There are impelling reasons for our sisters to plan toward employment also. We want them to obtain all the education and vocational training they can before marriage. If they become widowed or divorced and need to work, we want them to have dignified and rewarding employment. And if a sister does not marry, she has every right to engage in a profession which allows her to magnify her talents and her gifts. Brothers and sisters, we need to do everything necessary to adequately prepare ourselves. We owe it to ourselves to do our best. We owe our best in providing for our families. In addition to preparing ourselves for success, we need to help others. This is the spirit of priesthood responsibility. I am grateful for my membership in a Church that has this concern for its members and of assisting uh, the brethren who have and, and are assisting each other as a concern that we have for others and our brethren. This is the Lord's Church. This is His work, led by His prophet. May we follow the counsel given to us today for preparedness. I humbly pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. almost become converted to the welfare program this morning. <laughs> Just two or three things I wish to say. One is a great, great gratitude to those who are operating and administering the great welfare program. A second thing is to say as President Romney has indicated, there is still much to do. Greater efficiency and more application of our basic problems. 
And third, I would like to say that our enemies, I wish they could have seen this program this morning and seen the wide variety of uh, help and assistance and succor that could be given to the people of this world. And then to listen to what President has said and all the other speakers, we are doing a great service. And if they would go and do likewise, it would please us rather than to have them criticize our efforts. God bless all of you who are deeply engaged in this program. And if it isn't quite up to par, bring it there, will you? In every ward and branch and stake and mission. And let us come nearer to the accomplishment of what the Lord has given us to do. And I leave my blessings, the blessings of the Lord upon you as you go back to your areas and carry forward this great work in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Brethren and sisters, after what I've heard here today, the full coverage of the subject brings to my mind an experience I had some years ago <clears throat> when um, I believe the, one of the few, if not the only time, we as general authorities were asked by the brethren <clears throat> to treat a certain subject at a state conference. That week I went to Richfield and Brother Clifford Young went over to Monroe. They had a chorus of young folks from the school sing at uh, Richfield while I was there in the morning and then they went over to Monroe in the afternoon and sang where Brother Young was. And it happened that uh, I talked about the assigned subject in the morning, and Clifford talked about it in the afternoon. And when we made our report to the Council of the Twelve, Brother Young said it was a fine occasion. Only one bad thing about it was that those students had to listen to the same subject twice. And President George F. Richards, then President of the Twelve, said, well, I wouldn't worry about that. I don't suppose they knew you were talking about the same subject. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that uh, with the remarks now that I shall make, you will be able to understand that I'm talking about the same subject as the brethren did this morning in that wonderful presentation. As was said by Bishop Brown, the Welfare Services Department of the Church comprises the three programs. The original welfare program, which he characterized as the production program, the, social, the personal services, and the health services. And of these three programs, the first organized was the old 
welfare program, now termed the production, welfare production program. This program concerns the implementation of the Lord's declaration, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread until thou return to the ground. And also the second great commandment, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, of course, how these commandments were implemented anciently in the days of Enoch, as we've already heard. The record says that the Lord came and dwelt with his people, and they dwelt in righteousness. The fear of the Lord was upon all nations, so great was the glory of the Lord, which was upon his people. And the Lord called his people Zion, because there were no, they were of one heart and one mind, and dwelled in righteousness, and there was no poor among them. In the Nephi, of the Nephites who survived the cataclysm which occurred in America at the time of the crucifixion of Jesus, it is written that the thirty and fourth year passed away, and also the thirty and fifth. And behold, the disciples of Jesus had formed a church of Christ in all the land round about. And they had all things common among them. Therefore they were not rich and poor, bond and free, but they were all made free and partakers of the heavenly gift. In this last dispensation, before the church had been organized nine months, the Lord directed the saints to take care of the poor. At the same time, he told them that if they did not do so, they were not his disciples. Five weeks later, on February the 9th, 1831, he revealed the United Order. And within a month thereafter, he spoke again on the subject, saying to the brethren that pending the establishment of the order, ye must visit the poor and the needy and administer to their relief. During the next three years and four months, the saints had settled in Dependence, Missouri, made an attempt to live the United Order, failed to do so, and had been expelled from their properties in Jackson County. And then at Zion's camp, and Zion's camp had gone to Missouri from Kirtland with the purpose of restoring them to their homes. This the expedition was unable to do. On Fishing River, Missouri, on June the 22nd, 1834, the Lord explained the reason for the failure of their uh, being uh, putting the saints back in their homes as follows. Verily I say unto you, who have assembled yourselves together, that you may learn my will concerning the redemption of my afflicted people. Behold, I say unto you, were it not for the transgressions of my people, speaking concerning the church and not individuals, they might have been redeemed even now. But behold, they have not learned to be obedient to the things which I required at their hands but are full of all manner of evil. 
and specifically they do not impart of their substance as become a saints to the poor and the afflicted among them and are not united according to the union required by the law of the celestial kingdom. And Zion cannot be built unless it is by the principles of the law of the celestial kingdom. Otherwise, I cannot receive her unto myself. And then this statement, And my people must needs be chastened until they learn obedience, if it must needs be by the things which they suffer. The requirement to live the united order at that time was then withdrawn. The lesser law of tithing and the reveal, was revealed, which, with the law of the fast, has prevailed and persisted in the Church until now. The Relief Societies, after it was organized by the Prophet Joseph in Nauvoo, performed a great service in administering to the poor, and there have been uh, several voluntary cooperative projects among the saints since then. But the next church-wide program oriented toward the principles of the United Order was our welfare program. In the October Council of 1936, President Heber J. Grant read, quote, the message of the First Presidency to the Church, from which I want to quote this morning. He said, in, in this uh, statement, I'll substitute the word welfare from the word security, which Brother Brown uh, spoke, uh, mentioned this morning because that was the word used then, but it was changed by President Grant and the Brethren very soon thereafter. Said President Grant, as promised at the last April conference, we inaugurated a church welfare plan. The announced objective set for the church under this program, I'm still quoting, was to provide by October the 4th, 36, by a wholly voluntary system of gifts in cash or in kind, sufficient food, fuel, clothing, and bedding to supply through the coming winter every needy and worthy church family unable to furnish these things for itself, in order that no member of the church should suffer in these times of stress and emergency. I was at that time a bishop, and I was in attendance at that conference 39 years ago when this message was read. I well remember that immediately thereafter, pursuant to this council, we built in the basement of our ward meeting house some storage closets and gathered clothing and basic food needs. But to go on with President Grant's message, he continued, Our primary purpose, our primary purpose was to set up, insofar as it might be possible, a system under which the curse of idleness would be done away with, the evils of a dole abolished, and independence, industry, thrift, and self-respect 
be once more established amongst our people. The aim of the Church is to help the people to help themselves. Work is to be re-enthroned as the ruling principle of the lives of our Church membership. And then he said our great leader, Brigham Young, under similar circumstances said, set the poor to work, setting out orchards, splitting rails, digging ditches, making fences, or anything useful, and so enable them to buy meal and flour in the necessities of life. This admonition, said President Grant, is as timely today as when Brigham Young made it. President Grant then reported what had been accomplished uh, during, uh, to date uh, during the preceding uh, few months. Every ward and stake, he continued, is expected to face the necessity not only of providing for its own but of helping other wards and stakes. In no other way would it be possible to do the work which the Church is aiming to do, but few stakes and wards are in a position where they may be rightfully satisfied by merely caring for their own. This great work, he said, must continue unabated during the winter months along all lines and activities possible in that inclement season. When spring comes, the measures taken to supply foodstuffs must be redoubled. We shall then easily be able to do better than this year because we can begin our work when the planting season begins. We must not contemplate ceasing our extraordinary efforts until want and suffering shall disappear from amongst us. Now he continues the responsibility of seeing that no one is hungry or cold or insufficiently clad rests upon the bishops, each one for the members of his own ward. He will use every church organization of his ward to help him in this work. For help outside the ward, he will look for necessary assistance to the stake presidency, they to their regional organization, and these to the presiding bishop of the Church, bishopric of the Church, whose primary responsibility is to look after the poor of the Church as a whole. For this great undertaking, the Lord has abundantly blessed us, his people already, and he will continue to pour out his blessing so long as the people do their duty by the poor. Generations and generations ago, the Lord said to Israel of old, urging them to pay their tithes into his storehouse, Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not, will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. To this generation, the Lord has said, Inasmuch as ye impart of your substance unto the poor, ye shall do it unto me. And the Lord added this admonition. Therefore, if any man shall take of the abundance which I have made and impart not his portion 
according to the law of the gospel unto the poor and the needy, he shall, with the wicked, lift up his eyes in hell, being in torment. Jacob, speaking to the people of Nephi, said, Before ye seek for riches, seek ye for the kingdom of God, and after ye have obtained a hope in Christ, ye shall obtain riches, if ye seek them, and ye will seek them, for with the intent to do good, to clothe the naked, and to feed the hungry, and to liberate the captive, and administer to the relief, to the sick and the afflicted. We invoke the blessings of the Lord upon each and every one of you. I'm still quoting from President Grant. We pray the Lord continually to inspire his people to the end that we shall once more be able to take care of all those worthy ones amongst us to whom hard times have come in these days of distress. Having read the message, that was the end of the quote, President Grant continued with these remarks about how church members employed on government-made work project, government-made works should conduct themselves, saying, and this goes to the, what President Brother Howard was saying, Brother Hunter, about doing what kind of work we ought to do. When we appeal to the people to continue their labor for the WPA, said President Grant, we ask them to labor with energy. I was told that my father, who was the superintendent of public works in the early days, said, I can pick out every man who is working by the day and everyone who is working by the job. I find men working by the day, by the day, by the day. And I find men working by the job, by the job, by the job, job, job. Job by the job, by the job, job, job. Now, said President Grant, we want our people who are on the WPA to work by the job and not by the day. I de desire to call it attention to a statement by President Young. My experience has taught me, and it has become a principle with me, that it is never any benefit to give out and out to man or woman, money, food, clothing, or anything else, if they are able-bodied and can work and earn what they need when there is anything on the earth for them to do. This is my principle, and I try to act upon it. To pursue a contrary course would ruin any community in the world and make them idlers. And what would ruin a community would ruin a state, and I might incidentally remark a nation also. The presidency, in their message, made it crystal clear that their purpose in setting up the welfare program was twofold. First, to see that no worthy member of the Church suffers for want of the necessities of life, and second, that everyone who can work is given work to do. During the conference at which this welfare program was, was announced and which this uh, uh, message was read, 
President Clark had this to say. Work is a great thing. It is the law of this earth. When Adam was cast out, upon him was passed the glorious sentence, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Man as he Man as he is would not and could not have existed except for the promulgation of this law. Work is a wonderful thing, no matter what the work may be. The great Milton, in that wonderful poem, Paradise Lost, pays this tribute to work, which he expressed after he opens to us the vision of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God hath set labor and rest as day and night to men successive. Other creatures all day long rove idly, unemployed, and less need rest. Man hath his daily work of body and mind appointed, which declares his dignity and the regard of heaven on all his ways, while other animals are inactive range and of their doings, God takes no account. My brothers and sisters, if we can just get into our minds the dignity and the honor of work, no matter what that work may be, most of the ills from which we suffer will be solved. During the whole range of man's existence, there has never yet been any plan by which men may live righteously in idleness. And no such plan is my faith will ever be devised, said President Clark. It has been our experience from the beginning of the welfare program that it is easier to produce the necessities of life than to find employment for and put to work the unemployed. Our records for 1974 and 1975 indicate, as uh, Brother Peterson has already said, that only about a quarter of those who receive assistance from the program have worked for what they receive. This is an uncomplimentary reflection upon us, their priesthood leaders. It is time for us to lengthen our stride and quicken our pace in this respect. On a related phase of our program, let me say that about 300 stakes are involved in the Welfare Services Employment Center program. In 1974, 17,346 found work through the church employment effort. While we are pleased with present priesthood participation regarding employment, the present recession is increasing the need for attention to this effort. Our more active involvement in this program will be greatly appreciated and will be of great value. We must never forget that our primary purpose in the welfare program is to do away with the curse of idleness, abolish the evils of a dole and to establish once more among our people industry, thrift, and self-respect, and that work is to be re-enthroned as the ruling principle of the lives of our Church membership. 
In the welfare production phase of the program, our record is a little better. Every ward and stake, said the presidency, as I read, is expected to face the necessity not only of providing for its own, but of helping other wards and stakes. The, the implementing of this charge requires that every ward, by itself or in cooperation with other wards, acquire a production facility. During the first five years from 1936 to 1941, Apostle Melvin J. Ballard and President Lee, then a stake president, went throughout the stakes of the church, reorganizing welfare regions and teaching the program. Thereafter, for 15 years, I was assigned by the Brethren to meet with stake and ward leadership of stakes, of all stakes and wards in the United States and Canada. This with my traveling companions, I did. Our responsibility then was to teach the program, assign a production budget for the ensuing year, and to urge each bishop individually or in cooperation with other bishops to acquire a production project. During those years, a welfare committee representative was regu regularly assigned to accompany general authorities to state conferences, to hold welfare meetings, and to teach the program. The procedural method for teaching church welfare has now changed, but the objectives of the program remain the same. Its principles are eternal. It is the gospel in its perfection, the united order to which we move. The most recent available information is that 73% of the wards in the United States and Canada are involved in welfare production projects. This leaves about 27, and that's over 1,000, wards who are not. Brethren, you stake presidents and bishops, will you please take steps to see that this void is filled let us look about us, brethren, and try to understand the signs of the times. We must try to realize that the time approaches of which the Lord spoke when he said, Behold, this is the preparation wherewith I prepare you, and the foundation and the ensample which I give unto you, whereby you may accomplish the commandments which are given you, that through my providence, notwithstanding the tribulations which shall descend upon you, that the Church may stand independent above all other creatures beneath the celestial world. Let us move rapidly into a position to fill our welfare budget assignments with commodities produced on our own projects rather than with cash. What has been said in these remarks so far concerns but one aspect of the Welfare Services Department. The other programs are of like import. The relief, encouragement, comfort, rehabilitation, home supplied, companionships established, hope and peace inspired, and other charitable 
charitable and benevolent service is rendered through our social services program are incalculable. No money value can be placed upon them. Our most recently established program, Health Services, is rendering, rendering a spectacular service. We have been introduced to some of the activities of these, pro these programs this morning. One of the byproducts of these programs is substantial financial relief to other sources upon which the cost of the services we render would fall if we did not perform them voluntarily. For example, during the period July the 1st, 1974 through June the 30th, 75, we rendered through the welfare services exclusive of indirect assistance such as capital expenditures and overhead assistance of a cash value in excess of $20 million. Church membership in the United States is about 1% of the total population. This means that if all others rendered assistance in the same way as we do, it would equate at least $2 billion. As we quicken our pace in gathering members into the fold in areas where the fundamentals of welfare services are not understood and practiced, we need experienced help. We therefore request the assistance of you stake presidents and bishops in identifying mature, experienced priesthood leaders and their wives who may be called on full-time missions as welfare services missionaries. These couples will assist priesthood leaders in developing areas of the church by teaching basic welfare services principles and by supervising health and agricultural missionaries. The welfare services missionary couples should meet the following qualifications. One, the brother should be, have served as a bishop, stake president, or some other similar church position in which he has first-hand experience in administering welfare services. Second, they should not now have dependent children. Third, they should be financially, physically, and emotionally prepared to serve an 18 to 24-month mission in areas such as Latin America, Asia, and the islands of the Pacific. Four, they must meet all standards of worthiness. Especially needed are those with language skills or the ability to quickly learn a language. They should be capable of rendering effective shadow or supportive leadership. We are convinced that the prayerful consideration of membership of each stake and ward will result in the identification of couples who meet this criteria. Now, brothers and sisters, I have a witness in the testimony of this great work. We love you and appreciate the great work you're doing in it and the greater work you're going to do. May the Lord bless us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.